and welcome to episode number 26 of the Lines Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. We have three of those this week coming off an exciting G2E. We have Brett Colson, we have Eric Ramsey, and we have Adam Candy. Guys, thank you all for being here. Let's start with the sultry voice of Adam. Hello, how are you? Yeah, see, I mean, now now anyone who's thinking about tuning out is definitely not tuning out. They're in. Oh, for the, yes, be, be here with me. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in for the long haul. Uh, Eric Ramsey, was good to see you in Las Vegas. I know you are now trying to dig yourself out of snow up there. Yeah, we have a little bit of I, – I almost don't want to talk after – I'm embarrassed to have my voice on here after following Adam. I can't really compete with that. But hi. Hi, everybody. And, Brett, are you are you snow-covered as well? I am not. I'm oh. a little surprised to hear that Eric already has snow and we don't here in Buffalo. Yeah. No, no good. Well, let me tell you, both of you. Get the hell out of get the hell out of there. What are you doing? I mean, like the thing is, is it, is it Brett? You know it's coming. I mean, like you you know it's coming. You're surprised. It's got to be cold in. It's got to be cold in Vegas too. What are you guys in the 60s over there? It's got to be frigid. Man, it's it is pretty much freezing. I, I got to be honest. I had to wear socks in my house uh, <laughs> earlier in the week, so that was something I was not very excited about. Guys, we'll start off with the quick hits as normal. We'll get into some New Jersey revenue numbers. We'll talk about the NBA and different things that are going on with that. Uh, we did do the live podcast from G2E, so right quick before we get into the quick hits, guys, we uh, the, the, the three of us and Adam and Eric, on Thursday we went over to the panel that pretty much closed out G2E. And just real quick, some takeaways from that. Um, one of the things, I mean, that was actually the most quote-unquote star-studded panel of gaming people anyway. I understand Scott Van Pelt was on one of the other panels, but if we're talking about, like, you know, guys, big-name guys within the gaming industry, um, that was that was pretty heavy hitters that was on that panel. Adam, you and I were sitting next to each other. We were listening to some of the stuff that was being said. I think one of the things that really stood out to me, and I can't remember if it was IGT or SB Tech who said it, um, at the panel, but something about that their kiosk betting overseas is like 70% of their handle. Yeah, I believe that came from IGT and was echoed um, by others. It might have been SB Tech, but I don't think anyone was really disputing uh, that being the case. And we saw some really interesting technology at G2E when it comes to what they refer to as those SSBTs, the self-serve betting terminals, that essentially places them as a gateway drug between going to the window and full mobile because everything that we saw on those screens looked like a giant iPad and it's laid out almost exactly the same way that it will be when the app is on your phone. So I think that that is a natural step to move people from the window over to the phone. And you didn't even know you were doing it, but what a perfect way for us to plug the new Legal Sports Report LSR YouTube channel where we have a demo of the exact thing that you just talked about if anyone wants to see this with their own very eyes. Well, I'm good like that. I mean, yeah. you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was great. So, yes, we do have that if you guys want to head to the Legal Sports Report YouTube channel. Be sure and subscribe there because we'll have, you know, we got a bunch of great interviews that we got at G2E. We have some cool demo stuff and some different things that'll be going live over the course of the week. And if you weren't able to make it out there, you can get an idea of kind of what was going on here in Las Vegas. Eric, um, on that Thursday panel, uh, what was your, what was one of the big takeaways here before we get into our quick hits? 
I really enjoyed the sparring between uh, Sarah Slane from the AGA and the MLB representative that was there. They were it was sort of a brutally honest conversation in front of a lot of industry stakeholders uh, in attendance, um, sort of presenting their case for, uh, you know, both sides of the argument, uh, whether the league should be included or whether uh, states and private organizations should have full control of just the the sort of uh, open sparring between the two sides was super amusing to me. Yeah, well. If you only remembered that we talked about that on last week's podcast, but that's fine, Eric. That's cool. That's cool. We were, hey, US, you know, that's what it was. Hey, hey, you know, it's it's fine. I did specify Thursday, but that's okay. You're not the star of this podcast. We know Adam is, so it's 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 okay. That's we'll we'll get with that. I'm you sure. The, I'm the sure. Days Brett sort of ran together out there, and I apologize. Yeah, for that. I'm sure. I'm sure Brett caught that, and um, it, because he's not covered in snow, so that's that's Brett. You caught that, right? <laughs> I did catch that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's talk New Mexico here. And why would we be talking New Mexico? Because we really have not been talking about New Mexico on this podcast at all. But Eric, out of nowhere, we're talking about New Mexico. Oh, you're still going to let me talk, huh? Okay, I am. I'll, I am, tell, you, I am. I'll tell you about New Mexico. I teed you yeah. up, and, uh, and we're going to allow you to sound smart after after that ridiculous uh, rant that you went on after I specified Thursday and Fair. you talked about Wednesday. I appreciate yeah. it. So, yeah, Tuesday we suddenly had a sixth state uh, launch sports betting. Uh, the Santa Ana Star Casino is a tribal casino near Albuquerque. It's been there since 1993. And the tribal compact that uh, allows that casino also uh, allows for sports betting. So the tribe that runs that has opened a sports book, U.S. bookmaking uh, supplies the technology there. And yeah, we, you know, we talked about this a little last week. We didn't really see this coming until it was imminent, but, uh, we are officially up to six States with sports betting. Adam, we have, I mean, is there, are there any other States out there that, you know, we really haven't focused on when we're sitting here talking on this podcast and trying to, you know, we're, we're speculating as much as anybody else on what could possibly happen next. And New Mexico kind of snuck up on us. Is there is I'm sure you've dug in now that New Mexico kind of snuck up on us. Are there any other ones that could go? Wow, that's that's crazy. And now it's it's happening. Yeah, clearly New Mexico is the one who knocks. Uh, they came out of nowhere to do this. And I think what we haven't considered fully is looking into each of the tribal compacts and understanding that the language of each of these compacts really will determine which tribes can offer sports betting, which is classified under IGRA as class three gaming. I could try to explain this. We could spend the rest <laughs> of the podcast on it, but I'm going to point you right to legalsportsreport.com. Our legal expert, John Holden, wrote a great explanation that shows why this tribe in particular was allowed to offer sports betting in New Mexico, where some others might be able to and some others might not. So this really does open it up to answer your question, Matt, to a number of other states where we might not have thought that the state legislature was on track to authorize sports betting but it might be possible on tribal lands. Brett, yeah, you sort of skipped over that. Sports betting is still illegal under New Mexico law. State law still does not permit sports betting, but these tribal compacts and states may be able to uh, to get around the legislative process. Brett, you didn't and, stop Walter White. Yeah, yeah. Great <laughs> reference there at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Brett, you and I were um, – you and I were very interested when New Jersey and Mississippi went live because obviously these are areas that are surrounded by pro sports teams, really rabid sports fans, regional bias and things like that. I mean, we've talked to people in Mississippi who said the, 
you know, the SEC betting and the betting on the New Orleans Saints has been just completely lopsided and absurd. We've talked, obviously, we've seen it over in New Jersey, these Eagles and Giants and different things games. But New Mexico is out here in the middle of nowhere. They have no teams. They have no teams anywhere even around them. So I'm actually kind of interested to see the numbers when they come out and the different things like that for, for New Mexico because I don't really know what they like there or what sports they favor or what teams they favor or anything like that. Well, college basketball is pretty big there. I, I haven't read too much into this. Is college college sports betting, is that going to be part of this? Uh, I, I think so. That's another thing that's sort of gray right now, but it appears that way. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of UNM betting if that is uh, if that is uh, allowed or if that is on offer. Other than that, <laughs> I, I'm not really well, sure either. I can kind of point you a little bit with uh, New Mexico. I'm in Albuquerque at least once a year for work. And beyond UNM, remember that the Dodgers had their AAA affiliate uh, right across the street from the pit. The Albuquerque Isotopes, for you Simpsons fans, uh, were in uh, the AAA baseball there for quite a while. So you've got that. There's also a number of Chicago bears fans there that if you go back and trace it back to Brian Urlacher, the, the probably the best football player ever to come out of New Mexico. So it's not necessarily, you know, straight across the line interest. You're pretty close to Texas. So you get some fans there as well for Cowboys and, and so on. But, you know, I think New Mexico, it comes down to UNM, but there are a lot of other, you know, sort of divergent interests. Yeah, absolutely. So it'd be interesting to see that. But uh, yeah, that one came out of nowhere. And we will certainly, as these states kind of start popping on our radar, of course, we will keep you up to date, which is where we are right here with this. Adam, Eric, this is kind of nerd territory. So me and Brett will just sit back and let you guys go at it. Uh, let's talk about these hearings that you guys who are able to sit and listen to. I mean, uh, Eric, kick things off. Take a state, take a region, whatever. I don't I don't care. I'm going to start in Illinois because that was the biggest one and the one that I was that I suffered through for five hours yesterday. Uh, actually, a really interesting hearing there. You know, we five sports betting bills appeared this year in Illinois. Um, standalone sports betting bills, none of them gained any traction. But there is a lingering Chicago casino expansion bill that's been on the books since last year. It's being loaded up with a with basically an omnibus gaming expansion package that's going to include sports betting and DFS and online gambling and casino expansion all into one. So two House committees, subcommittees um, heard testimony yesterday. It was I. We could spend a whole show on it. There's tons to talk about. The thing that stuck out to me was uh, MLB testifying for a royalty, a straight up royalty and dropping the integrity fee moniker. We'll talk about that a little later. And also the players associations testifying that they want uh, ownership over biometric data and uh, the ability to disclose injuries and things like that. The LeBron James undisclosed broken hand was brought up. Um, and basically the the players want legislation that gives them uh, ownership over that data, which it's probably a collective bargaining agreement, but it's interesting to hear them bring that up in uh, in testimony. We've talked about the you know the various tones of some of these hearings that we've watched. Obviously, the one the, the federal one was completely like a negative tone. You could tell that they were trying to just poke holes in everything that was going on. What was like the overall tone of this one? Much more uh, informed and interested than the last hearing. Uh, the last one was sort of at a surface level. A lot of I, I mean this in the best possible way, but a lot of uninformed questions from lawmakers just not asking the right questions. This one, there was a clear appetite uh, for to pull this information from stakeholders. They heard from every corner of the industry, the operators, the sports leagues, the anti-gambling opponents. Um, yeah, there's there's a very clear appetite to move forward with with these provisions. So someone sitting in Chicago listening to this podcast right now is, you know, the million dollar question for them is when 
at the earliest, might I be able to legally sports bet within my state? I know you are not inside the actual, you know, ins and outs of everything that's going on there with these lawmakers. But I mean, like, speculate because that's what we do here, right? We speculate. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to it's going to be 2019. Obviously, nothing uh, legislatively is probably going to happen until after the midterms. And then we're looking at a bill in 2019, you know, take a month or two to pass that in the best case scenario, Um, you know, maybe a summer launch in the best case. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, because we've seen we can't just you can't just flip the switch. Obviously, we've seen that in Pennsylvania. I mean, like, you know, you can pass something and then it not actually get going. And speaking of Pennsylvania, this is a really big ask to pull this all together and do it all at once. You know, Pennsylvania did do it. But uh, to try to pass an omnibus package like this, it's it's a tall task for sure. Adam, you want to take D.C. or you want to take Kentucky? Oh, I'm happy to wander into the nation's capital for a moment. Um, There's a bill in front of the council in D.C. put forward by Jack Evans that would legalize sports betting in Washington, D.C. Now, you have to understand your D.C. politics a little bit to know that it's not just a matter of the council passes it, the mayor signs it, and it becomes the law. Because it's not actually a state, their friends over on Capitol Hill do still have oversight over any laws that are passed. So if D.C. is able to pass a law, it goes up to Congress, it sits there for 30 days, and Congress has the right to disapprove it if it wants to. The president could then sign that and knock down a potential law. Now, is that likely to happen? It depends on your read on how things are going in Congress these days. What has to happen in D.C. starts with that hearing uh, that happened this week. About 15 different stakeholders testified, all the usual suspects in terms of DraftKings and FanDuel and the smaller operators as well, uh, up in front of the council. The lottery there would administer it. They said between four and six months after a bill passes, they could be up and running. So if you look at early next year as the potential date for something to pass, you could be looking at summer if everything goes well in D.C. Remember also, though, that D.C. doesn't have any actual casinos. So this is where it could get really interesting in Washington because where is the sports betting going to be allowed? Well, they're looking at putting terminals inside the arenas where the Wizards play, where the Redskins play, and be able to potentially offer sports betting there as well as lottery locations. So there's a lot to be worked out here, but could you be betting at the 7-Eleven in D.C.? Not particularly out of the question. And one of the things that came out of there that I saw one of the highlights was that it was actually mentioned that this was a race and that they wanted to be first because they didn't want to be playing catch up, which I thought was an interesting sentiment. Certainly. And and you look around, that's part of the issue where the Northeast is becoming the region, the mid Atlantic also where sports betting is becoming you know a reality faster than everywhere else. Maryland, Virginia aren't super close to, to getting this done, but you know, obviously Pennsylvania, New Jersey, potentially New York, you know, that's, what's going on right now uh, in sports betting, even West Virginia that, you know, we saw some numbers from Hollywood this week. Hollywood is dominating the West Virginia market and they're less than an hour drive from that DC metropolitan area. So even States a little further West, West Virginia is in the mix in the market there. Brad, as you sit and listen to these things on a one to 10, how glad are you that this is not part of your job description? Having to watch these, <laughs> having to watch these things. No, the, the DC thing is interesting though. I mean, we've, we've heard Ted Leonsis, the owner of the, uh, the capitals talk about, how sports betting is huge. And so I, I would certainly think that he'd be welcome to the betting terminals inside his arena, right? Oh, absolutely. 
He's got to be. He's got to be on board. I mean, he was one of the he was one of the very first guys to come out and really kind of trumpet yeah. trumpet the whole benefits of all these things, especially from an ownership perspective and engagement perspective. So, you would certainly think he would be the first guy to to welcome that for sure. I would think he would have some pull in the D.C. Uh, legislature as well. I don't know exactly what the relationship is like, but, you know, he owns two of the largest franchises in the area. I, I imagine he has some pull with his requests with lawmakers. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk some Kentucky. Um, Eric, I'm going to throw that on you. Yeah, Kentucky is another state that, you know, has a real big appetite for sports betting in 2019. They formed a nine member panel to explore the issue and draft legislation. So they met on Friday uh, as a mostly educational hearing, again, kind of surface level. There are uh, competing efforts in Kentucky. One would be through the horse racing industry, the other through the lotto. So the main questions there are which of those two routes they'll go or if we'll create a whole new body to oversee Kentucky sports betting. Um you know, we know Churchill Downs is based in Kentucky. The horse racing industry is struggling mightily these days across the country. So it makes a lot of sense. And it seems like uh, it's a pretty sure bet Kentucky's going to move forward on this in 2019. And my home state, Louisiana, Adam, is, is something actually on the horizon there? I wouldn't get super excited quite <laughs> yet in Louisiana. I, there's still quite a bit more to get done to legalize sports betting. I wouldn't call that likely. I think what's interesting in Louisiana right now is that there is going to be a measure on the ballot uh, just in a couple of weeks for DFS. And it's going to go parish by parish. And I'll leave the parish explanations to you, the expert. But you might have a patchwork all across Louisiana because if a parish approves it, DFS would be legal. If not, it wouldn't. So good luck to our friends at GeoComply trying to figure out how to geofence all of that. Uh, if it is legalized in Louisiana, FanDuel has put 150 grand into an effort to convince people to vote in favor for it. They kind of couched it behind an AstroTurf group talking about fairness for Louisiana, but they're really the money behind it and they're trying to get something done down there. Yeah, it's um, parishes, of course, are just counties in just in, in Louisiana. And it's interesting that you said that, but, you know, one of the things in Mississippi, and we've talked about this before, is how the mobile is only going to be allowed within actual casino, you know, the confines of the casinos there. And as I kind of dug a little bit further into it, I also realized that there's a little bit more to that than just than just that meets the eye, because uh, Mississippi is kind of the same way that Louisiana could possibly be on this parish by parish basis where gambling is only legal in certain counties in Mississippi. So um, that's one of the, that's kind of one of the holdups there as far as, you know, having these statewide apps, you know, and things like that, that go on in Mississippi. So it looks like Louisiana kind of following along that same, that same trajectory there, which is pretty interesting because there's casinos all over the place. There's, there's horse tracks all over the place. It's a, uh, it's a very gambling. It's a very, I mean, there's lottery, mega million, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, there's every kind of gambling there is there other than sports betting and DFS, which, you know, I, I just, it's always, it always makes me giggle a little bit. These States that are like, no, no, no lottery's fine, but this other stuff is the devil, you know? Well, I think what's also interesting in terms of, figuring out the mobile issue. And this goes for Mississippi as well. And this will become an issue in New Mexico down the line mobile. As we cross over between the tribal lands and the, you know, the public lands that could become another huge issue for the, for the tribes to figure out. Mississippi has both betting at casinos and at tribal casinos. So just another thing to think about down the line. 
Very interesting stuff here, and all these states are going to have their own little nuances, and we will continue to dig in to all of that stuff. Adam, let's uh, let's go to you here on this Nevada stuff. Nevada casinos, you went to a meeting, you sat in there, you listened to people talk live and in person about trying to basically catch up with what they're doing in New Jersey and allowing for mobile sports registration. I attended the special hearing of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which was put on to look at comments that the board had solicited from sportsbook operators in Nevada to say, we need to look at our regulations and figure out what needs to change, what needs to be improved, what needs to be taken out or added in. And the mobile piece was probably the biggest news to come out of that meeting where you had MGM, Caesars and Wynn all get up and say that they're now in favor of fully remote registration and verification. Now, you can always sign up online, but you still had to go to a sports book, still have to go to a sports book and show identification and fill out paperwork and let them see that you are who you say you are. Well, that's not the case in New Jersey. In New Jersey, you can do it all online. And we saw just this past month that New Jersey's mobile passed its land base in terms of revenue. And Nevada has always been close to three quarters mobile since it really got going a few years back. So that's the biggest potential change that could come out of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Now, they didn't take action on it in this meeting, but the potential for this to become reality certainly grows quite a bit when you get three heavy hitters lining up behind it. Yeah. And listen, here's the thing is here in Nevada, you know, the station casinos came out against it and it makes perfect sense. Right. So when you're when you look at the two factions and kind of how things are lined up, you have the casinos that are for it because they're all located down on the strip. You have the station casinos that are against it because they're located all over the city and they are located in a bunch of populated areas in the various pockets within the city. So it makes perfect sense that they don't want it because if someone's sitting up here in the northwest side of town and they decide, man, you know what, I really do want an app. They're not going to drive the 30 minutes down to the Strip. They're just going to pop in Red Rock Casino, which is 10 minutes down the road, five minutes down the road, depending on where you live. Vice versa, you know, there, there's Green Valley Ranch over in Henderson. There's the various par- parts like that. So you certainly see why the, the two different sides of this want what they want. No doubt about it. And when you talk about MGM and Caesars in particular, remember that these are national companies, international companies. They're already in New Jersey. They've already seen it work in New Jersey. They're not the ones making the big money. We'll get into that in a minute. But they also want this ability everywhere because they see the potential for the revenue. And Brett, let's get to you. Finally, I know we're getting we're through all this news stuff. So we're able to get to to you here on something and so we, we mentioned about Don Best getting gobbled up on a previous podcast, but now they put out an announcement that they are going to be starting sports betting camps. Yeah, the, the betting supplier Don Best uh, will be hosting four sports betting camps in New Jersey over the next few months uh, with plans to add a few more across the country uh, next year. Uh, the camps focus on what looked to be pretty basic curriculum for the major U.S. sports uh, they're going to be hosted at FanDuel Sportsbook at Meadowlands. Like the first one is uh, next month. Uh, and the price is $450 for a one-day session. This news was shared by Darren Ravel on Twitter this week and met with a lot of negativity by sports betting Twitter, as you might expect. And look, we, we've seen similar camps in other gambling industries like poker, season-long fantasy sports. Of course, daily fantasy boot camps were a big thing a few years ago. Uh, people are they're, they're drawn to these. They, they're trying to get better. They want to learn from the experts. There's a market for these opportunities, and they're going to exist. But my issue here with this 
particular sports betting camp, there's a difference between a DFS camp and a sports betting camp, no matter how much you learn and a at poker, a sports and, betting and, and camp, a poker and, and camp and as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, no matter how much you learn at a sports betting camp, your potential edge against a sports book is still marginal at best. Like you can only gain a sizable, you can actually gain a sizable advantage in poker and fantasy sports because those games are peer to peer. And right? you're not going to, and there's actual strat like game strategy yeah. involved in different that you can learn a different strategy. You can learn, you know, we talk about it on the DFS podcast. We do like the game theory and different things like that. But there's there, there's not any of that in sports betting. No, you're never going to have a 40 percent ROI against the odds maker. Uh, so, I mean, unless you're a whale making big bets, looking to learn a little more about the market and any high level sports betting tactics. I don't see a whole lot of value in a camp like this that costs $450. Yeah. And I guess my, my question to Eric and Adam in this, and this was the first thing that I thought of when I saw this would, was why put a barrier to entry into this? Like, why wouldn't you just run these for free? I mean, don't you want as many people as possible learning the ins and outs of betting? I mean, the only person that would possibly in a million years do this is going to be a complete noob. So wouldn't you want the complete, as many complete newbies as possible coming and learning and figuring things out? Like, I, I don't know. I guess I don't understand creating a barrier to entry when, when really you want volume above all. I think the scientific games would probably prefer that these $500 fees were stayed in the sports betting pool, that the people purchasing these were using them to bet on their platform instead. That being said, I I mean, I think there's some value for the brand. I don't know that there's necessarily value for betters, but I think running events like this is probably good for the brand. It probably will generate a little bit of loyalty and get some new customers a little more educated. So I don't hate it from their perspective, but I think Brett's right. I'm not sure how much value for the betting community there is. Adam, what is the price you would pay to go to a sports betting boot camp? Uh, $11 billion. <laughs> I, I would actually pay that much to learn. Uh, come on, guys. I, I could see if you were to say, okay, free entry, and you have to pay X amount of dollars, whatever you decide that it is, and that goes straight into your bank, right? It takes this much to open an account. You have to pay two, $300 to open an account. That goes into your play, and then we're going to teach you how to bet right. with that money that's in there. And that be- and that at least gives you something where you get people started and get them moving a little bit. I, I'm not going to completely disagree with Eric on the brand piece, but if you're side games and, and you're looking at this, you're thinking, really, this is the first thing out there PR wise that we're going to do after this merger announcement. I don't know. I just think it looks a little bit kind of low class compared to, you know, what you would think you might expect from these two companies. Yeah, it was just, it was the, the first thing to me was just odd that, because when we saw all these DFS boot camps and these and these poker boot camps pop up, it was after after like DFS and poker had gained all this momentum and all this steam, and they were you know it was kind of established. And the pitch was, okay, you know how to do it now, learn how to do it better. And the the pitch behind this, you know, is like come in and learn how to bet in the first place. And just to me, it's a shocker that you would want to create any sort of barrier to entry to that. Like I would be running, I would run run daily sessions if I had to in my sports book or multiple, multiple times a week or something like that, that were completely free to get as many people exposed to this as humanly possible. I don't want it to be only guys who are interested in sports. I don't want it to be only males. I want to, you know, let's get females involved. Let's get the casual person involved. Let's get the person who only wants to bet, uh, you know, when it comes around for the Super Bowl or whatever it might be like, I don't know. It was it was just such an odd thing to me and still remains to be just such an odd thing to me. 
I hope you guys enjoy having Matt Brown on the podcast because it won't be long before some smart sports betting company hires him to his marketing team. You're, you, yeah, I, it's hard to disagree, Matt. I think you're thinking about this the right way. Hard to argue. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. We'll see how this all plays out, but I imagine we're going to get uh, some pretty interesting tales from these different little boot camps here. Before we get into the main topics, Brett and I were able to catch up with Matthias Stetz. From the, he's the COO of Rush Street Interactive. We were able to talk to him about all the things that they have going on. So uh, let's talk to Matthias right now. We are very happy to be joined by Matt Stett, COO of Rush Street Interactive. You guys probably here in the States know Play Sugar House. Man behind that, Matt, thanks, thanks for the time today. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's look at the first few months of legal sports betting here in New Jersey. How do you feel the, the revenue numbers have gone? How do you feel like the launch has gone? And kind of how do you feel about, uh, you know, everything looking back here over the first few months? Well, yeah, we, we just saw the, the numbers uh, from September, which was the first full month for the whole industry. And overall, they're very impressive numbers, I would say. Um, I think it shows that uh, sports betting is here here to stay, so to say, and that it's uh, it's very exciting times for us in the industry. Uh, and I'm also seeing players are very excited in New Jersey. Uh, we're... Uh, we're quite happy with the results. Uh, obviously, it was extremely difficult to estimate um, uh, what what the numbers would be beforehand. Uh, as if you remember when the casino industry started, there were lots of numbers thrown out. Uh, a lot of them were too high. And <laughs> so when the sports betting was launched here uh, in New Jersey, same kind of people were throwing out numbers. Uh, so we had our own budgets. Uh, but I would say it was very difficult to estimate. Uh, but the launch, uh, if we talk about the launch itself, that was very smooth for us. Uh, uh, you might be aware that we launched sports betting in Colombia and South America in June this year. So we already had that integrated into our platform. And we're using the same iGaming platform uh, that we own for both markets. So sports betting was already integrated. So for us, it was mostly a, a translation uh, thing and currency thing obviously with the US dollars but uh, we were very confident that we would have a very smooth launch uh, other things that we had to do was connect uh, the loyalty program to include sports bets as well so all our bonusing and our loyalty programs are deeply integrated between the two products so I think we were the first one or I'm sure we were the first one to come out there with a, a integrated casino and sports book uh, and I'm not entirely sure if anyone else has done it yet uh, seamlessly like like we have. So you guys are working with Canby at Sugar uh, Play Sugar House in New Jersey, which uh, Canby operates not only your online sports betting product, but DraftKings and 888 Sport as well. How has that partnership worked out for you so far? Can you explain uh, the process of how the deal works alongside the other operators? Sure. Uh, I, I joke sometimes that I talk to the Canby guy more than my wife. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is that I, in my previous job, I used to work with Canby uh, for 12 years. So I know those guys very well. So from just from a culture of fit, it, it, it's a pretty good fit. Um, uh, of course, in the beginning, there are small things like how do you how do you call certain things that the, the U.S. sports betting user hasn't seen before? So we had a lot of discussions about that. But in general, I would say it's working quite well. And 
I mean, the most important thing is that the, the product is working. Uh, the the bed offers are out there. Um, I mean, it's safe to say that we have the widest offer in the market, uh, obviously together with those two that you mentioned. Um, I forgot the last question. There was another question in there as well. Yeah, just the, just the process of how it works. I mean, Campbell uh, can be runs uh, like the odds compilation, the, the risk management, but are your odds always in line with the other two books at the same time? Are they always the same? No, they're not okay. always the same. We we have different tools that we can use to uh, to decide the odds. Basically, how it works is that can be trades on the probability of the game. So say that you have a game tonight. The Lakers are playing. Uh, who are they playing tonight? LeBron's first game. Uh, they're playing the Portland Trailblazers. So basically, if Camby thinks that uh, the traders think that it's a 50-50 shot, then they would they would trade the 50-50 probability then on for the sports book to make any margin or vig uh, they put a percentage vig in there and we then can decide up or down how uh, how we want to treat that so we've decided so far to to try to give back as much as we can to the customer Got it. Yeah, a few weeks a few weeks ago you guys started lowering your vig on NFL games on Sunday. Uh, you said that this was uh, a long-term play that you uh, are looking at, you know, years ahead. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of strategies going into customer acquisition early in the game in New Jersey right now. Uh, and what other ways are you trying to kind of differentiate yourself from the other operators in New Jersey? Yeah. So, so for to comment about the, what what I just said that we 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 just we have decided to give much give back as much as possible to our customers that's that's actually consistent with our casino strategy that we had already from 2016 was that in in the same way as i just described uh, how it works for canby it also works for different slot machines online but we have the we have the ability to set the rtp or the return to player ratio and across all our games where we have this option We've always put it at the highest. So this goes, it's actually a, a, a brand play for us. Uh, one of our taglines or our tagline is you deserve more. Uh, and we, we try to live by that. So that's why we we try to minimize our big in, in a sense and give the customer the best possible experience. Even though you, you win or you lose as a customer, in the long run, you will win a little bit more. So in our view, that's a, that's a brand play that we want to be uh, for our customers that they always get the best possible experience uh, playing our games or betting on sports. So this week, uh, Camby announced that there's going to be some some new in-play betting options and they're going to be available at Sugar House as well. Can you kind of give us an overview of what bettors can expect to find as far as the in-play offerings and how how much do you think this type of wagering is going to be you know, important to the growth basically here in the United States. Uh, so I, I'm assuming you're talking about the NBA right. uh, in-play in betting options. Uh, you can bet on who will score next. Will it be a two-pointer, three-pointer, free throw, things like that? Uh, we, we, they actually have that, or we have that from them uh, on uh, NFL as well. In NFL, you can bet on the next drive, the outcome of the next drive. So will it be a touchdown, a field goal, a punt, a turnover? Or other, and it took me some time to figure out other, but I guess the safety is other. We have that on NHL as well, where you can bet on uh, who will win the next face-off, what team will get the next penalty, 
obviously who will score next. Uh, and uh, for baseball, we also have every batter that's up. Uh, will he get a hit or a walk? Yes or no? So, and uh, what well, we, we call those action bets. Uh, I think uh, over in Europe, they call them instant bets, but over here we call them action bets. So that's a bet that will settle within the next couple of minutes is the idea behind it. Obviously a drive might take more than, uh, more than a couple of minutes, depending on the quarterback. But uh, in general, the idea is that uh, these bets uh, are very fast paced bets uh, where you bet and you get the result uh, within a very short time. Uh, how big live betting will be or in-game betting, uh, as some people call it uh, in the US, uh, we're already seeing it has grown week on week. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I worked in Europe for 12 years uh, in this industry. And right now in Europe, around 70% of all bets are placed in game. The US is still slightly behind in, in terms of percentage, but the pace that it's grown at only in a month and a half or two months that we've been live uh, is very encouraging. And I think long term, this, uh, this is crucial for, for sports betting. So staying on the the in-play stuff, um, I want to talk about data a little bit. Uh, in Vegas last week at G2E, uh, the Rush Street president, Richard Schwartz, who you are obviously very familiar with, he said that operators want to strike their own deals for data. What what does that mean? Is he saying that every operator is willing to pay for data to, to operate sports betting? Every, every operator is already paying for data. <laughs> You either directly or through their sportsbook supplier. And, and this seems uh, to be a misconception, right? Because I know there was some of the stuff coming out of G2E where there were people saying, you know, oh, some, guy, some guy's watching a game in a, in a garage or something, and they, that's, just, that's just not reality. Uh, no, not, not on, not on uh, definitely not on the big leagues. Uh, I mean, there's so many data providers out there. I'm sure you know uh, some names, but these guys are accumulating a lot of data and uh, you pay for that. Either you, either they have a, um, uh, what do you call it? They they have a uh, a deal directly with the league. In most cases, they if, if for sure for all the big leagues, they have those guys, the data ag aggregators, have a deal, and then they pass on that cost to us as operators. So it might be I don't know how all the deals are struck, obviously for the other operators, but in one way or another, you're paying for that data. Does that make sense? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, it's one of those things that one of the I think one of the things that was coming out of, you know, these headlines and G2E stuff that that you guys, you know, that that the leagues want to try to get this message across that, you know, you guys aren't currently paying for for data. And the thing is, is that, you know, I think that you set the record straight right there that anybody who's anybody is already paying for data in one way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean. Otherwise, it's very it's very crucial for for in-game betting to to have correct and uh, up-to-date data. So, uh, and the, there are companies out there who aggregate this. Uh, so, uh, obviously, they want to get paid too. Yeah, absolutely. And and while we uh, we really appreciate the time here, and before we let you out of here, just let's take a look at you know a year, two years, even a few years down the road. Uh, where are you guys looking to be? How do you see this market progressing? And where do you think that we'll see Rush Street in the United States? 
Uh, well, Rush Free Gaming has uh, casinos. Uh, our sister company, Rush Free Gaming, has land-based casinos in uh, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and New York. So you'll definitely see us there. Uh, <laughs> and then obviously we want to be in as many markets as possible. Um, your first question there was like, what, what, how I see the U.S. market developing over the next few years? Yeah. Again, there's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, guesses out there. Uh, I read this morning that uh, I think by 2021 there will be 15 to 20 states uh, that will have legalized sports betting. Uh, just looking at the numbers from New Jersey in September, I think uh, this will open the eyes for some other regulators to to maybe expedite that rollout. <laughs> but uh, in the end, it's a legal and political process, and I'm neither a lawyer or a politician. So. <laughs> No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we really, really appreciate you taking the time. We are excited about the expansion here, obviously, and we're certainly excited to keep up with you guys and what you have uh, and what you're bringing to the market. So thanks again, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Matias for taking the time to talk to us this week. And any listen, we're going to continue to get some of these people on this podcast and have them Talk about the various things that are going on with their companies. I mean, this is very interesting times. I mean, and again, not to plug the LSR YouTube channel too many times during this, but we were able to catch up with some of the other movers and shakers within the industry while we were at G2E, and those interviews are up now on the channel. So be sure and go over there and check that out as well because, you know, it's very – these guys – a lot of these guys have a lot of experience in this space. This isn't completely new to them. I know it's completely new to us in the U.S., but these people have been doing it for years and years and have a lot of, have a lot of interesting thoughts on how this is all going to progress. So be sure and head over there and, again, subscribe as we said. Okay, one of the things we were very much looking forward to, and this was a big topic on the podcast last week, the live one from G2E – was the New Jersey revenue numbers. We were told that they were going to be, to quote Adam from earlier in the show, $11 billion is what we were expecting to come out of New Jersey when it came as far as handle and revenue and things like that. Um, the numbers came out, and Eric, I'm not going to say I was like, oh, okay. I think it was just, it was built up so incredibly much that when the number was revealed, I think people were kind of like, Oh, well, I mean, that's definitely really good, but that's not like jaw dropping as from what I was expecting anyway. The head regulator, David Rebuck, said we would be stunned when we saw these numbers. And, you know, we kind of threw out some really big numbers last week. The number is one hundred and eighty four million. That's the handle for the month, which, like you said, it's certainly not a bad number. We were expecting north of three hundred million. So in that context, it's a little disappointing. It we'll is an increase of 100 percent. You know, I mean, it's, it's a, a huge yeah, increase. Yeah, it's an increase like, of 100 percent. Right. You know, if we were talking about these numbers in May, nobody would be disappointed by these numbers. They are they're thrilling, huge numbers. The industry is going in the right direction. But, yeah, it's not not what we were expecting, unfortunately. Adam, I know we were all kind of on the OK, let's up the ante here whenever it comes to what the number might be. But that uh, that said, I mean, I don't think anyone in, in any business on the face of the planet would be upset about increasing a number by 100 percent month over month. No question about it. And I also want to go back and say, 
you thought your 299 number wasn't that good. Turns out you didn't set it too badly because it was way under. Everybody <laughs> yeah, was saying way over on your number. So good job as a bookmaker. I think what we have to remember is it's easy to get caught up in saying, well, now there's mobile and now there's NFL betting. And so naturally there's a factor of one X for both of these and it goes up. There's still a lot of noise in all of this statistically. So give it a couple of months to settle down before we start judging it based on revenue trends. It moved up by double. Fantastic. That's a great move. There's nothing wrong with going up in the range of $200 million. And when we look at some of the trends with mobile as well, with handle, everything's going in a really good direction. I don't think that we reached maturity quite obviously with the market. And I think that you're looking at a market that still needs time before we start giving it a lot of judgment. And Brett, I think one of the things that we'll learn whenever we're obviously continuing to do this podcast a year from now, because I think we all signed a five-year contract for this podcast is that I think the numbers next year might kind of be more eye popping than the numbers this year, because we still have these sports books kind of trying to figure things out. I mean, they're they're running different promos and we see different promos happening kind of each and every week. And I think that they're all still trying to figure things out at the end of the day. I mean, you still have MGM out there that doesn't even have a, a, an iOS app. I mean, they're not even Apple. You know, they're not even in the, the app store right now. When it comes to, to that thing, so I mean, just a huge possibility for, for them on mobile that hasn't even come to fruition yet. So, you know, I mean, look, the numbers are really good. And I think maybe a year from now, that's when we kind of really see what this market is made of. Yeah, you've also got casual betters who have never done this before, still learning how it all works and probably just testing the waters right now. It was only the first month of NFL betting, and that's where you're going to get the most action from casual betters. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we'll we'll see this continue to grow uh, year over year. And uh it wasn't the number we were expecting, but I, I think it's it's still a very exciting number, like like Eric said. Eric, can you break down the numbers for us, just the, the mobile versus retail, so that everyone kind of has an idea of how it all went down? Yeah, so as we expected, mobile has pretty much taken over the market. It was responsible for about 60% of the revenue. Uh, total revenue on that $184 million was about $24 million. Um, about 60% of that came from online and mobile. Uh, anecdotally, operators are telling us that, that online and mobile is gaining ground. Sugarhouse says... 80% of its traffic is uh, is online mobile. And also, as expected, DraftKings is the big winner. They did about $8.5 of that revenue, so about a third of the market total and two-thirds of the online revenue. Um, BetStars is in there, too, but almost all of that number was from DraftKings. Um, FanDuel did about $2.8 million. So DraftKings 8.5, FanDuel Sportsbook 2.8. But the retail uh, did well for another uh, more than $4 million for Meadowlands to bring FanDuel Group up to $7.2 million. Uh, last tidbit, the hold for completed wagers to date, 7.9% is what books are holding in New Jersey. Yeah, and this is this is like – you know, again, we talk about this, but I mean, even what, you know, William Hill had trouble getting into the app store. We have a couple of them. We have a couple of books out there that still don't have uh, app store stuff with Apple and different things. So, I mean, I think that there's still there's still definite room for this to get to maybe the quote unquote stunning number that everyone was 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 worried about there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be fine. And I don't think people need to be you know, saying like, wow, that's kind of a letdown. No, it's not. I mean, it's a, it's a hundred percent increase for sure. 
And DraftKings and FanDuel are absolutely crushing it. I mean, the other operators have had a few hiccups, like you said, not on the app store yet in some places, but for those two to be responsible for 11 million of the 12 and a half million online revenue is, is damn impressive. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that they're doing along with, and, you know, we, along with BetStars, and you can head to the lines.com and kind of catch up on all these things as they happen. It, they're just trying all these neat, you know, promotional things that, that just you don't have out of the traditional sportsbook operators in the past, right? Especially here in the States, especially in Nevada, people who are used to doing stuff in over here. I mean, you don't get, you know, the the basically the free money line bets on the local teams. And if they happen to lose, they'll refund you and different things like that. I mean, I think these are all smart customer acquisition things that they're doing. And from the looks of things, I mean, from the looks of these numbers, it, it's working. I would extend that to social media too. Both of those have a, a pretty extensive uh, branding presence on social media, and it does a good job of getting them, getting their name in front of people every single day, different promos every day. Yeah, this this seems to be this aggressive marketing approach that's worked for them in DFS uh, seems to be working in sports betting too. Yeah, I'm in New York, and I like I can't place bets on in New Jersey online books, but I have all of them downloaded on my phone. I get push notifications all day, yeah. odds boosts, free bet promotions, refund promotions. DraftKings, Fanduel, and BetStars are absolutely killing it. Right right now yeah I, I really like what they're doing there and i think that they're going to force people's hands to be perfectly honest with you i think they're going to force some of these other books to start doing these creative things because uh, they're going to look at the numbers and they have eyes and they have people that are processing things as well and it's like we, we can't keep falling behind with these guys and even just pure marketing we've been talking about the DraftKings efforts even before launch back over the summer they were putting billboards up in new jersey and you know looking at the numbers I, those efforts are clearly paying off yeah, for sure. All right, the NBA is back. And Adam, let's talk about old, old Adam Silver and his recent comments on, on sports betting. Oh, my namesake back in the news again. I love Adam Silver Theater <laughs> as much as anything out in the professional sports landscape when it comes to betting right now. Adam Silver uh, talked to Stephen A. Smith, and of course the topic of sports betting came up. And you know he basically said, we're not going to try to turn a blind eye to the fact that, you know, this is going to be good for our business. Well, yeah, we get that. But the other part that happened concurrently was Dan Splane from the NBA uh, in a gambling compliance article got, let's say, a little bit testy in talking about some comments that A.G. Burnett made at G2E at one of the Thursday panels, Eric Ramsey. And he talked about the fact that the integrity fee was a money grab. And unsurprisingly, the NBA did not respond very well to that and kind of fired some shots back. They're also now in the business. Silver is flying is they're all trying to change it over to calling it a royalty instead of an integrity fee. That was another thing that. Uh, Kenny Gersh from MLB and Sarah Slane got into is the, the naming of it. They called it an integrity fee when they started in Indiana and everyone wants to try to keep it that way while the leagues are trying to change it. So, you know, we know the NBA has been out front. They've got the deal with MGM. I thought what was really interesting this week is that they are still pushing hard for the integrity fee, even after a $25 million non-exclusive deal with MGM. There was some talk that maybe the MGM deal would get the NBA to back off the integrity fee thing a little bit. And the answer is no. Yes, that is exactly what is going on here. <laughs> From a betting side of things, Brett, what we have seen in what the early numbers that are coming out is essentially we're not seeing near the volume that we've seen in years past. And that has to be probably due to the fact that the Warriors have created not just a super team, but a team that looks like it is nearly invincible. Yeah, this pains me because... 
I only bet futures. I love betting on futures, but NBA futures are barren right now. And we have the lack of league parity to thank for that. Like you said, the warriors who currently sit between minus 160 and minus 200 to win the NBA title right now, it is the third straight year. They are a favorite against the field to win the title. And unless you love betting front runners, it's not a whole lot of fun putting money down on these other 29 teams right now. So at the Westgate in Las Vegas, they're getting more money wagered on NHL, NHL futures than NBA right now, which a few years ago would have been unheard of. But right now, as, as we record this, I'm using FanDuel Sportsbook's live odds here. There are seven NBA teams with odds of 40 to one or better to win the title. There are 22 NHL teams with odds of 40 to one or better. It's just a better market. People are more willing to place bets on those hockey teams. And so this is just the state of the NBA right now. We talked, uh, you know, we talked about it last year with the Warriors. They're huge favorites all over the place. And uh, that has not changed year over year. So NBA handle is going to come by way of single game wagers, parlays and in play this year. I don't see it changing a whole lot with the futures betting. Yeah. It, and it's the thing is, is a future futures bets are kind of interesting anyway, because you're locking up money for a very long time. And so right. guys that typically would bet futures that aren't just throwing, you know, let's call it a hundred dollars in less, you know, a hundred dollars or less on something like that. Um, the guys that are going to put significant money, you know, usually the guys with the bigger bankrolls have like these, these real big bankrolls and, and like, they're probably just not finding the value that they, that they did in years past, because it's just, you look at this Warriors team and you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could bet one of these, you know, other teams or something, but am I just lighting my, you know, my 10 K on fire or my 5 K on fire? And do I really want to sit with my 10 K or 5 K locked up for the next six months just to have it loose? You know I mean? There's just so many things that go into this. Yeah. What's interesting is nobody's actually betting the warriors over New Jersey. Uh, FanDuel said that it nearly half of its outright, uh, outright title bets wagers are on the Celtics. Like 45% of all futures bets are on the Celtics right now. So maybe a little East coast bias there uh, the Celtics are just six to one to win the title, which I think is still uh, way too inflated. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not a whole, uh, not, not a whole lot of uh, interesting options here to bet on NBA futures. Eric, have you in not, a case of, have you not locked up of, any of your, uh, have you not <laughs> locked up any of your money in futures yet? I'm not part of the, the you know the <laughs> biggest liability for FanDuel is on the Knicks at plus yeah. thousand. Uh, that's probably the one I'd jump on, but I haven't been down there to get to get any money down yet. Good luck, good luck, good, <laughs> yeah. good luck yeah, with that's that. Probably, that's just free money for FanDuel, you yeah. know. <laughs> I wish I, I honestly wish I had the the bankroll to put a significant amount of money on the Warriors, just because I mean. I did see Man. there was one, you know, in in Vegas, they're minus ten thousand to make the playoffs, and I saw one one bet that was almost seventy thousand to win less than seven hundred in Vegas. <laughs> just you're just not going to see these types of bets in New Jersey for sure. And what's the point, really? Right? Yeah. I mean, like seriously, that's crazy. Uh, Adam, let's talk about uh, what's going on with Sugar House. So Sugar House made a move this week, and it has to do with the NBA. They were previously on the Golden Nugget license in New Jersey. And those of you who followed the law being created in New Jersey this year know that Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, also owns the Golden Nugget. And in Vegas, that means they can't offer bets on the Rockets. But in New Jersey, that means they can't offer any NBA bets at all. So Sugar House took one look at that and decided, you know, we want to be able to offer NBA betting. And they jumped over to Monmouth Park. And so 
Now, Monmouth will have Sugar House in addition to having uh, William Hill's mobile there. So that's two of the three online for them in New Jersey. And I have to say that the move makes plenty of sense. Yeah, I mean, you can't really shut out a whole market, can you? Not at all. And, you know, you know what NBA betting will be, despite uh, what we just talked about with uh, the futures day to day. Really? Where's the interest in the NBA this year? The NBA, it's really in the regular season, right? Uh, you're going to care probably more about the regular season than you will about the playoffs because the playoffs are going to feel like a foregone conclusion unless you happen to be a fan of one of the teams that's battling its way through for the right to get stomped by Draymond Green. Right, right. I mean, it is. Man, I, I love the NBA product so much, and I know that we all enjoy watching and everything like that. I guess it's just weird when I'm sitting there, and I've never done this in a sport before. And even last season, I wasn't really on the train of it being a foregone conclusion. But this is almost as close to a foregone conclusion, barring some sort of you know gigantic, huge trade that you know very well could happen there are players who get upset with their teams all the time and we're dealing with a couple of those already right now but you know barring some sort of major major move it almost does seem like a foregone conclusion which the books got to be hating i can only imagine it's it's horrible for them and the league too betting markets are always early indicators you know and i would say that this probably does not bode well for general interest in the nba this season as a whole brett uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I talked about the NBA last year. I, you said you like the product. I hate the product right now. I, I'm yeah. just really upset with what's going on with the Warriors and these super teams that are being built. I, I guess so, when I say the product, I'm talking about just I think the level of play is as high as it's ever been. I mean, there's so many sure. really great young players in the league right now that I am you know, excited about where these guys are going to be in two or three years. But again, that's you know, that's two or three years from now. So here's what I would give you guys. Take the rest of the league. Pick your five or let's say 10 players to make a bench to give them a month of practice together. Would they beat the Warriors in a seven game series? <laughs> I mean, I don't think they would. I mean, wow, that's that's, that's a, strong. That's a bold statement. I'll, I mean, are you talking about I could take any five players in the NBA? I'm saying you can have you can have Russ, you can have AD, you can have Cat, you can take whoever you want and put them together. And I think that the system the Warriors have combined with the talent they have is so strong that I still think they'd win in seven games. No way. I would. I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could fantasy book this with you. Like, there's zero chance. LeBron, 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 Harden, LeBron, Harden, Anthony Davis. Like, right. That that trio right there is better than their trio already. And then you add two more pieces to that. Kind of like guys that are team players. You put a defensive specialist. Uh, there's zero. God, it's more the bench that's the worst. Else. That is the worst take that's ever been said on this podcast. Literally, oh, come on, I've said you plenty worse takes. right now. You organize it. Literally, the worst take that's ever been said on this podcast. Uh, you, <laughs> you now, you can wear that crown. I mean, man, that is that that is horrible. We just got to end this podcast now before anyone says anything else stupid. We got to we got to get out of here. This is this is going to be horrible, uh, <laughs> guys. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks again to Matias Stats for joining us from Rush Street. Uh, really interesting stuff from him. Again, guys, we are on iTunes. We are on Spotify. We're on all the places that you get podcasts. So we would love if you went and subscribed. We would love if you rated and reviewed. Hopefully a five-star review if we are giving you the goods here on this show. For Brett, for Eric, and for Adam, I'm Matt. Thanks a bunch. We will see you guys next week.